All right, welcome to Manipulating the Masses. Today we're joined by branding and storyteller extraordinaire, I would say, <laughs> uh, Felicia Sullivan. Welcome, Felicia. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we're so excited. You're actually uh, our first guest on this podcast, minus someone who works for us. So she doesn't really count. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she, oh, no. She has, a lot, of, she has yeah. a lot of brilliant opinions. <laughs> so we brought her on to kind of test the groundwork. Um, so welcome and thank you for being our first uh, victim, I, I guess. <laughs> I, have to, I have to set the bar really high now. I'm nervous. You do. You do. You do. Yep. You do. You really do. Um, so we always like to start off, or at least we've started off, uh, with a fun icebreaker question. Cool. So given that you have recently moved to LA, I kind of picked a uh, geocentric question for you. Who was your first childhood actor or actress crush? And Zach, you can think about this too. Whoever has the answer can shout oh, it out. Oh, this is embarrassing. Um, my first crush <laughs> was, I liked I liked all of the actors in Hollywood that would soon become drug addicts. So um, Corey Haim, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., River, River Phoenix. Oh yeah. God, River Phoenix and Running on Empty. Oh my God. Yeah, all, all of the guys who had some, had some substance abuse issues were my crushes at like, you know, 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh... Well, as child actors, the odds are in your favor that they're going to become drug yeah, addicts at true, some point, true. right? All right, all right, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good one. That's a good one. I would say probably mine. I mean, I, in the same vein, Felicia, like yeah. Lindsay Lohan. Oh, like, yeah. Like back in the day, like uh, Parent Trap, right? Like mm, She was great in her. that. Sign me up. I know. Redheads. Yeah. Nothing like me. You mean know girls. my weakness. You know my weakness. Hopefully my current girlfriend doesn't listen to this, but yeah, you're kinda right. You're kinda right. Um, mine was Matt Damon. Oh yeah. I had a bit yeah, the born legacy, supremacy, identity, whatever the oh, trilogy good will was. Hunting, that was Goodwill hunting. Oh, Goodwill wow. Hunting, he was, yes. He's not a child in that though, right? He's not a child. No. Who was your childhood? After oh, in crush. my childhood. Oh, correct, in my childhood. correct. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't gotcha. ask you if you had a crush on a child, Zach. Come on. <laughs> I was well, not that kind of when you're a kid. You're like, all right, all right. <laughs> well, now I got to cut that. All right, let's not. Yeah. Uh, FBI, stop, pause, rewind. All right. NSA. Misinterpreted okay. that. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You, the people, have the power. <laughs> let's get into it. Um, Felicia, let's get to know you a little sure. bit. So you have quite the resume. I, uh, I, I looked at your LinkedIn um, and it all started in investment banking, but now you're in marketing. Yeah. Walk us through this whole process. Oh, goodness. So I actually um, started out working at Chase Global Bank and Morgan Stanley and very, very sort of high profile investment banks. And I did it because I think, and this is also embarrassing, I watched Wall Street one too many times and thought, oh, God, I can make a pile of money without going to prison. This is going to be awesome. 
and not embarrassing. Yeah, and so I did it, and then I realized, wow, it's actually not that fun. People are not that nice, and I have to wear suits all the time. This is back in like the late '90s uh, where you still had to wear suits, and mm-hmm. I would get oh. reprimanded if my um, if I didn't wear like if like let's say if I wore a bright color or if the if I didn't wear hose, I would get reprimanded. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is just not for mm-hmm. me. But it was hard back mm-hmm. then to transition to any other career back then because you didn't have like the internet mm-hmm. or whatever. And so I decided to build um, my own business online. It was like a, online was burgeoning. It was like maybe 98, 99. And so I decided, you know yeah. what, I'm going to build a dot com where I resell clothing that I would get from outlets in New York because you didn't have like a Saks oh. off Saks or you didn't have like the outnet. You didn't have any of those stores online. And so I started out on eBay as a power seller. And I sort of built this business where I had a credit card machine, like one of those old school machines and whatnot. And I had an online storefront. Yeah. It was like a GeoCities. It was very embarrassing. But it made good money. And it got the attention of um, the wife of the boss of my next job, which was in marketing. And because I was featured, my dad and I were featured on the Oxygen Network of like young women entrepreneurs doing online wow. work. And it was like yeah. the internet. And so that got the attention of the wife of... Um, the boss I would be working with in my next job, which was a dot com, and it was in marketing. And so it was. I always have the the ethos of if you can't, if you don't have the experience, build a hustle that will allow you to learn the experience, and you get even more street cred because yeah. you had to build it up all, all on your own and learn all all on your own. So not only was I like doing the marketing, the sales, I was also doing my own accounting, which is horrible. I don't recommend any of that. Um, and yeah, that's how I made the transition. Either. And as that's soon as I got the thing. job, I was like, I'm out of banking. And at the same time, I also got into graduate school at Columbia. And the funny thing about that was I got all of my managing directors to write letters of recommendation because they thought I was getting my master's in finance. And I was telling them, oh, I'm getting my oh. MFA. And they were like, what is that? And I told them, you know, my master's in fine arts. And they were like, you won't make any money <laughs> being a writer. And I was like, okay, mm. that's why I'm taking the job in marketing. Goodbye. <laughs> Yeah, so that's my backstory <laughs> in a roundabout way. Man, what a ride, though. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I think it's so inspiring to just, uh, you know, just kind of let the your life take you in directions and chase, yeah, uh, what you what you really want rather than just get beat down by the yeah. grind, you know. Um, so you were the first Sophia Amoroso, <laughs> <laughs> but not not as well packaged. She was not as yeah, well packaged. I, did, I love I that. I wasn't as good at uh, branding as I was back then. Back then, I was just, you know, I was just so into the dot com, e-commerce, like the idea of people kind of bringing their lives mm-hmm. online was like, so exciting to yeah. me that I just wanted to be in that world because it was so different. And and all of the jobs I had were sort of offshoots of being online or being or building content or brands with the idea that a lot of consumers are thinking about online first. And so that was that was pretty um, kind of avant-garde for back then because a lot of my peers were like, this is a blip, it's not going to work out. And, and then come the millennials who just kind of blew it out of the water. And I was like, this yeah. is why I'm still relevant in my career. Thank you, millennials. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thank yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks to all the millennials that exist. <laughs> yeah. Tell that to Gen Z. Millennials and Gen Z are in this constant battle. I know. It's yeah. bananas. Isn't it funny? I think it's because a lot of Gen Z's um, parents are Gen Xers, like my age. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Gen Xers were so beat down originally by millennials. Like, you're so old. You're uh-huh. like boomers. And we're uh-huh. like, we're not boomers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
We're so cool. Um, <laughs> so tell us about the company that you just recently launched, correct? Oh, well, if you're talking about the digital agency that I, I worked at, that was um, like quite a few years ago, maybe like eight or nine years ago. Is that what you're talking about or just what I'm doing right now? No, you own your own. You own your own yes. company. Correct? Yes, I do. And did you just recently launch I it? I did. I had, um, when I left my previous job at an agency, because I worked at a, as an agency partner for quite a few years, I wanted to control over my, you know, the clients I worked with, the work that I was doing, that mm. sort of thing. And I'm really invested in brand building from the perspective of, and I know this sounds like Captain Obvious, but I'll explain it in a minute, from the perspective of customers. Because I often mm. find that even at the agencies that I've worked with, and I've worked with like the big ones with great creative minds and all that, but a lot of it was at the service of the brand and the people who worked at the brand because mm -hmm. you want to satisfy them because you're on a retainer, et cetera, mm -hmm. as opposed to really mm -hmm. going out and listening to the kind of difficult things that customers have to say and consistently listen to them, not just do like a one-time survey, but how do you build brands and keep them relevant and real and have and have them cultivate real relationships with their customers if you're if you're not talking to them all the time and so i thought about okay how do i develop these research tools that are kind of simple but at the same time kind of give a very unbiased um, opinion in the room because there's often this tension between um, agencies or consultants and brands where it's a battle of who's smarter kind yeah. of thing and I sort of inserted data in that conversation to say, hey, this is the unbiased opinion in the room of what your customers are saying about your brand, your industry, your competitors, et cetera. And so I sort of built a whole practice of kind of doing data-driven ethnographies, uh, which is a fancy way of saying yes. I listen to customers and build brands or retool them as a result of that. And it could be anything mm -hmm. from like, I've done even small projects where brands like, why isn't my creative working? Um, for different ad campaigns. And we would just get all of this research together to understand, okay, why, is it, why isn't your creative hitting um, the way that it should? And it's, it's astounding the, the ways in which like AI technology and all this other technology that's available to us now allows us to just kind of be a fly on the wall for customers in real time. So you can get true insight into, you know, how to build the brand right and how to keep it yeah. on the right path. So that's the kind of company oh I run now. Yeah. I, I'm so excited to get into this week's topic yes. with you because it is so customer centric and we're going to be talking about celebrity brands and why, although celebrity have so much status, why are their brands failing? Yeah. Um, so I'm yeah. so excited to dig into that with you. Um, but I do want to ask a couple more sure. questions of you. Um, I, I love this. You, you had a bullet point on your resume here. Um, you took a digital agency from 1 million to 20 yeah. million. Tell us the secret sauce. Well, um, yeah. you know, sacrifice your physical and mental health. <laughs> done, done. <laughs> Joking, but not really. Um, I, easy. I done. At, yeah, easy. Yeah, it was, um, it was a couple of things. I think in all honesty, it was less about, um, you know, cause I think everyone thinks about let's get more customers, let's get more clients. Mine was more of working with our agency president and our CEO. It was more a strategy of both retention and growth and evolving mm. capabilities that make sense for the company and, and not being afraid to develop adjacent capabilities. I'm going to translate this all in a hot second. But the idea was we didn't just go after like, oh, let's just get every client in New York. Let's steal all the clients from the big agencies. 
the idea was at the time, like 2009, when a lot of companies weren't doing social, we started out as social because a lot of people thought that was avant-garde, but then we got the talent yeah. and sort of said to clients, okay, we're serving you in this capacity, but we've got smart people. Isn't the next step thinking about paid media or isn't the next step thinking about strategy, which, you know, is a higher dollar, you know, like higher dollar conversation than just managing your social channels. So I looked at it as how do we, you know, milk our existing relationships as much as possible and then use those case studies to go after the bigger clients and then compete a little bit more on, on price because we were a little bit more agile because we were smaller. And so, you know, I worked at for a few years, MRM McCann in New York, and that's a huge agency and they have to have a base yeah, level of retainer in order to be profitable. Well, I say I can undercut that and have the same level of talent. I just don't have crazy overhead and I'm not part of this massive mm. holding company. So I think there's a there's a yeah. deliciousness in being, you know, just small enough where you can make an impact and have some creative and strategic minds on the business. And that's also attractive to clients who oftentimes I saw this mass migration, like in starting in 2015, where a lot of clients were like, we're tired of the big agencies because of the, the cost, you know, just all the, the rigmarole. And they were going to smaller yeah. shops because they were getting great thinking, innovative, creative, like just smart minds who weren't yes people. And I think, you know, that's more of the direction that we're going in, in terms of you know, how do you grow businesses? It's less about growing your agency at scale. It's more along the lines of, can you have a smart, nimble team, keep your costs low and be able to evolve your services in step with make, what makes sense for your business, but also ways in which you can grow existing relationships with your customers. So for example, we had like Estee Lauder proper as a client, we were just doing social for them. But as that relationship grew, we started to do strategy, creative developments, you know, uh, website builds, all that kind of stuff. And then they introduced us to, hey, do you want to work with Aveda? Because it was a portfolio of companies. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at the strategy of it. Let's just grow and retain and do good work and then use that work to get the higher dollar clients um, because they could see, oh, they're a small agency, but they're working with bigger brands. And we wouldn't have gotten it if we were like, oh, here, we're just managing their social channels. No, we're actually doing, you know, high level strategy for Estee Lauder products at the same time as doing their social, but at a better cost. Do you think that larger agencies are kind of serving maybe a templated strategy oh, these for days? Sure. For sure. Um, yeah. I'll give you an example and I won't say the agency's name. Well, if it's, if you look on my LinkedIn, you'll figure it out. But, okay. <laughs> but in terms of getting sued, I won't say the agency's name. Be right back. <laughs> going on LinkedIn. So I worked, um, for like four years as a consultant for, I was their head of strategy at a major agency in New York. And we had some like big, big clients, which was exciting to me because I get to do kind of bigger strategy work. And so at the time I was developing what I do now, like how do you use data and technology in order to understand customers a little bit better, right? And so at the time, you know, we had this um, fast casual client, fast casual dining client, right? And again, if you go on my yeah. LinkedIn, you're gonna figure out who this is. And <laughs> the way in which, you know, and there was a 
huge retainer. And it was also interagencies, you know, because the the agency I worked mm-hmm. for was part of a holding company. And so you had other agencies yeah. also having bites of this business. So it was important to keep everyone super happy. So and not to rock the boat. And so for years, the strategy was the same. And it wasn't a strategy that actually challenged the client, which I think indirectly clients do want to be challenged if done obviously in the right way with the right tools and the right proof points. And so ironically, we were about to lose the business because um, a new, a whole new um, CMO, whole new team came into the fast uh, casual dining. And so they were going to us sort of testing our smarts. Because they wanted mm-hmm, to bring in their, mm-hmm. but as as new people do, they want to bring in their preferred yeah. partners, which just makes sense. Yep. And so yeah. I actually had to beg uh, my client because I was, you know, working for them in strategy to take a new approach and and developing how we would keep the business. I say, let me do some of these data driven ethnographies. Let me show them things they haven't seen before, and it's not like a blueprint for how we're going to move the business forward. It was more along the lines of we can think better and strategically and smarter and out of the box and do things fast and furious without being stupid. And mm-hmm. the cl- yeah. it actually saved the business for, I mean, they ultimately lost it, but after I was gone, which said a lot, but, <laughs> but at <laughs> the, the time, the asterisks there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time I was like, let's just try something interesting with data. And it was actually ironic because the people that came in were very data savvy. And I was sort of speaking their language and I was yeah, using yeah. And, and I and I used I work with the creative team to say, how to, how could I visualize this in a way that you take large mm-hmm. like pieces of data, but still make it palatable and simple and interesting. And, you know, I was lucky that I was working with an incredible creative team who understood how to do that, how to do that kind of translation work. And I think that's what's important for agencies or the bigger agencies to understand that. I think they're sort of doing their run of the mill thinking. They may have a couple of really smart creative campaigns or TikTok uh, influencer marketing campaigns. But at the end of the yeah. day, I think your clients really want not only the obviously the wonderful creative, but they want that also backed with, you know, data um, analytics, understanding, balancing that data and creative. And I think a lot of agencies often pick one or the other, or they just want to take shortcuts in order to keep their costs low internally. So they're like, we're not gonna invest in all these tools, these AI tools. But I often think you have to think of the long-term longevity, not just of your client's business, but of the agency business. Like what's gonna keep you, what separates you from you know all the other holding companies up and down the block who do the same thing, have the same level of talent, but you have to be willing to sort of experiment and try new things if it's smart. And that's the, those are the ways in which I think agencies have to stay relevant. And it's hard to do that when you're big and you have all of this overhead. Yep. All this red tape bureaucracy. Yeah. It's hard to be agile. Well, you've just solidified uh, all of our reasons why Zach and I became partners. <laughs> um, so I'm so awesome. thankful that we've had you on. Uh, that is meeting adjourned. <laughs> that was the validation I needed today. I yeah, love yeah, it. That's, that's yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, we have a lot to dissect and I would ra- much rather pick your brain on kind of the celebrity endorsed or celebrity owned brands. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to jump right okay. into it. This week we'll Good. be talking about celebrity owned brands and, and think, um, you know, Honest by Jessica Alba, Yeezy, yep. Rare Beauty, Selena, Savage Fenty, Beats by Dre. I threw in a couple oh, male owned brands Thank for you. Zach. Thank you. Oh, you worked on yeah, Beats. My- yes, Good. let's go. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, Thank and you. I, I'm even I'm even thinking 818 Tequila, Fabletics. Yeah. So but a question to both of you. How do you both feel about celebrity owned brands? Are they are you heavily influenced by them? Are you more likely to buy a celebrity owned brand over a normal brand? Zach, I'll let you go first since I've been talking mm. forever. <laughs> oh, you, no, you're great. I'm so out of my depth on this one because I'm just not. Uh, thank you for picking some brands that are relevant for me, to me, Caitlin. Uh, I just I don't really feel like I'm influenced that much, but it's hard to tell. Right. Like I don't see like uh, Dos Ombres, the Brian Cranston and um, what's the other guy's name? Jake. Aaron Paul. Their tequila, the Dos Hombres, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I wouldn't try it. I love the two. I love Breaking Bad. I think they're both terrific actors. Like, I'm a fan. Doesn't make me want to buy their tequila. I'm like, well, okay. okay, Zach, you're a big headphone person. So yes. tell us what you think about Beats by Dre. I think Beats were amazing when they came out. Yep. Originally, they were the best. Uh, I don't think that it was – I don't think the Dre part of it really had, like had anything to do yeah with it. i just think they were like functionally the best yeah. when they came out um and now i think some other brands have caught up like i'm wearing sony's now you know um so i think there is an element of like it wasn't the dre part it was the functionality part if who's the 818 tequila kylie kendall one of the two kendall jenner yeah. kendall like i tried that awful tequila i bought it <laughs> terrible like i'm never gonna yeah. get it again i think it's just more about the quality of the product than yeah. the endorsement for me to oh i love that, that okay right? felicia i'm gonna pass yeah it to that's you. actually it's it's funny the way in which you were talking about brands that you weren't aligned with versus ones you were and i think the interesting thing about celebrity brands and i'll give two egregious examples um i think what makes them successful is if a the products are a natural evolution of the celebrity like it makes sense that this celebrity would come out with this product, mm. balance with actually product. hiring, you know, real experts to ensure the product works, or you're addressing a market need like Fenty and having a color palette that serves, you know, a full array of African American women that other cosmetic companies yes. weren't doing. And it just so happened that people loved Rihanna, so it was an extension of her um, being a light skinned African American woman coming out with this complete palette. So it made sense. Versus if you say something like yeah. Brad Pitt coming out with skincare, like what? Like, why would I? <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. I forgot. Skincare. Thank you. From Wait, that's Brad a real Pitt. thing? That's a you real know? thing? That is a real oh. thing. You know? Like if you think oh about other companies that work, let's say, for example, like Rare Beauty. And I'm not going to get into the whole Selena Haley Bieber kerfluffle, but they do have competing brands. You guys brands. are speaking a different language today. Yeah, you and okay. I can take that offline. <laughs> yeah. But the interesting thing about Rare Beauty is that for her, she did a really smart thing in making it an extension of her platform in addition to actually hiring people that actually could make the products work. Like Skims for Kim Kardashian made sense and the product is actually superior. It's not, you know, like her, mm. some of her earlier brands where she had clothing lines where the products were garbage, 
or like Kylie Swim, where the initial line was garbage. So it doesn't necessarily, like, I think the celebrity will add the hype, the PR, you know, the initial buzz for a product, but consumers are savvy. They'll Maybe they'll buy into it initially, but if the product doesn't meet expectations or fulfills a market need, they're like, I'm taking my dollars elsewhere. Absolutely. And, you know, it's 2023 and we've seen celebrity owned brands just come on the market again and again and again. And maybe early on the celebrity status was enough, but now we're tired. We are fatigued. We are celebrity owned brand fatigued. And, you know, talking about Hailey Bieber uh, and the skincare line, you know, everyone is like, this girl doesn't really know anything about skincare. And does she use it? Probably not, you know? Yeah. Um, so consumers are much more savvy and they're much more aware. We're smarter. Oh, absolutely. I think back in the day you'd have like, as I worked on a lot of Cody perfumes where there were a lot of celebrity owned perfumes, like Sarah Jessica Parker, Jennifer Lopez, Paris Hilton, whatever. And I think back in like the early aughts and people were just so driven by name recognition now, especially with Gen Z coming up as a really, successful consumer and then being like millennials and Gen Z being really skeptical of, you know, hype and making sure that products work and not only that products work, but there's something behind the brand that is a level of ethics, accountability, sustainability. And so it has to kind of meet now all of this criteria that I think celebrity and even a lot of these influencer created brands, I think initially the hype could be interesting. But at the end of the day, the customers are a lot more sophisticated in in discerning about where they place their dollars. It's a hugely saturated market, too. For sure. Well, yeah, and that's what I was going to I think you brought up a good point that I do think the term celebrity is becoming saturated. I mean, we went through when you think about influencers, these people have millions of followers. I we went through like the top 10 influencers and I didn't know eight out of the 10 of them, right? So Mm -hmm. even the term celebrity is saturated to such a degree because there's so many niches of different consumers and how you can get recognition that I think having a name behind it just doesn't do much anymore. Yeah, for sure. So I wanna wanna share with you guys um, the top seven ranked uh, most successful brands. Okay. Can you guess number one? Celebrity endorsed? No, celebrity owned. Celebrity owned. Celebrity owned. before one. Kanye went off the deep end? <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> really? Yes. No shit. Yes. Felicia. Number one. <laughs> All right. Okay. Give me number two. Oh, come on. Yeah, oh, okay. man. Um, We've talked about it. We've already talked 20? about it. We've already talked about all uh dr dre oh yes oh yeah beats um and then i'm gonna list uh the rest of them number three you guys might be surprised at this felicia you might not be but jessica simpson collection oh for sure her products for sure she found her she did she found her niche and she was smart about it because she was one of the first i remember when her clothes first came out and everyone's like oh it's jessica simpson but she was an extremely smart businesswoman where she was like you know what i'm gonna sell affordable clothes that are actually decent quality that don't fall apart and that are trendy. And so a lot of people built into that. And I think she started with shoes and they were her classic stiletto high heel. And this was back when she was popular and that was her 
brand yeah. essentially like the stiletto hmm. um so moving down we have rihanna fenty beauty mm-hmm. we have kate hudson fabletics mm-hmm. jessica alba the honest company which to be mm. honest <laughs> i thought that would be higher up the list but still it's number six mm-hmm. uh and then of course number seven we had to throw a kardashian in there uh kylie jenner kylie cosmetics yeah. None of these are surprising to me. Goop, you guys, Goop didn't come on the list. Yeah, I was Goop actually just gonna ask it. that. <laughs> yeah, like I not feel number like seven. They get a lot of press, maybe not a lot of sales. All right, that makes sense. That makes sense. That the ski incident me. of 2023 really <laughs> <laughs> depreciated her brand. <laughs> so. I wanted to start digging into this because of a conversation I was having with my girlfriends. At, uh, we were talking about the Super Bowl. We were talking about Rihanna and the brand Fenty came up and I told them that the fashion line went out of business and they were like, what? No, it didn't. And for the next hour, I had to explain to them that there is a Savage Fenty lingerie line, a Fenty beauty line, and then there's an actual Fenty clothing line that did indeed go out of business. So to the average person who's not in marketing and advertising, it really seemed like just because her clothing line went out of business, it mm. did not impact her overall brand image. It, it didn't It didn't affect anything. Um, I'm sorry, I keep getting phone calls. Um, so popular. I know, oh, no, right? I'm <laughs> like jealous. all doctor's appointments too. Spam. <laughs> I'm popular with the spammers. Um, <laughs> So her laundry and beauty line has been a massive success and really carrying the name Fenty. So today I want to dissect Fenty, what worked, what didn't, and then get into another clothing line that just recently announced its departure from a massive athletic company. Do we have any guesses? Ivy Park? Yes, ma'am. You Dude, are on Felicia, top of your shit. You are dialed in. I'm keeping up with the gentleman. Thank goodness you're you here. You got to keep. You have to. Yeah. Be you really are. You got to be Caitlin right was, If it was just Caitlin and I, yeah, if she was asking me these questions, I'd be like, oh, I don't know, like uh, dead air. I, mean, I guess, yeah, like just silence. And then I oh, have to edit you have to stay in, relevant, like, kids. me sounding smart. Yeah, well done. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. So. So before I get started, I want to hear your initial hypothesis on why the Fenty clothing line failed while her beauty and lingerie line saw global success. Mm. Any hypothesis? Hypotheses? I think because when you think of Rihanna, um, and this is just like just hypothesis, when you think of Rihanna, it, it the cosmetic line makes complete sense. Um, because totally she does. was she was directly addressing a, a market need and, and a, a need that wasn't being serviced by other cosmetic yeah. companies. And it made sense because it was coming from a black woman. And so a lot mm-hmm. of black women mm-hmm. and, and women of color, you know, and white women were excited because, hey, we're not only supporting, you know, one of our own, but we're also buying cosmetics that addresses a need where we have to kind of hodgepodge together different cosmetics with different companies to actually get just basic coverage or just to look good right and i think fundamentally it was it was following it was not just the the market need but it was also supporting a woman of color it was also made sense for her to do that and i think the lingerie the savage fenty made uh more a little bit more adjacent sense because of her appeal i don't Mm -hmm. think like if I think of Rihanna and a clothing line versus let's say the row, 
by the Olsen twins. Yes. That make the row makes complete sense for those for the two twins because their whole identity has been fashion and, and them experimenting with fashion and the and the ways in which they wear and tell their story through their clothes. I think Rihanna's a little bit different where a lot of her look wasn't necessarily about the clothing she wore, but of course people will talk about it, but it was more how she looked that appealed to people a lot more. So I think it's uh, clothing lines could be very dangerous for celebrities if it's A, not a very clear extension of their brand and aesthetic, and B, if the clothes don't actually live up to the hype. Like if they're Shein quality clothes, people aren't going to buy them. I'm not saying that was the Rihanna situation, but when I think of Rihanna just as a consumer, not even as a marketer, I'm like, Fenty Beauty makes complete sense. Um, like mm-hmm. like how Skims makes complete sense for Kim Kardashian mm-hmm. and how the row yep. makes sense for the Olsen twins, right? And these are all different price points, but they all make sense But to the lay yeah. consumer. But when the consumer is thinking about Rihanna, they're like, am I going to buy a Rihanna blazer? That doesn't, doesn't really make sense for them. And here's something, just an extension of what you were saying, is Rihanna's brand image is glam. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, she can throw together a fashion, uh, an outfit, but she she doesn't experiment the same way we saw the Olsen twins experimenting back in, you know, the early aughts. Um, she's not experienced. She shows up and demands attention, like at the Met Gala, she's always talked about. Um, but she has a stylist helping her, and these are very glam exactly. events. Um, so the experimentation isn't really there because the Olsen twins were putting together their own look and they were, and they were actually working in the early days before the road, they were working with designers to create what they wanted for their aesthetic. And it's different from celebrities who have great style, who are supported by a stylist and supported by brands who have the designers that are avant-garde versus, versus the Olsen twins, where it was always a passion for them to design clothes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Zach, do you have any extra additional thoughts? I know we just went uh, into fashion, which is not your world. And I I've been, keeping, ta- I've been <laughs> keeping a tally of all the references you guys make that I don't understand. And I'm up to 13 right now. So I got to do a lot of research. But no, I think, um, you know, what I, I do think the Savage Fenty shows are something that I do mm. think really not only not only with the beauty line serving uh, an you know underrepresented market in beauty, but the Savage Fenty shows finding that similar vein of underrepresented people in the lingerie and, yeah. and those type of fashion shows. I, I I always like I watch the shows too because they're fun. They're you know they're really fun to watch. Yeah, um, it's like a I concert. Would, it's a it is. Yeah. It, and it's a great it's a great performance and and mm-hmm. what I thought like looking back to the old school like Victoria's Secret shows like it felt like those were marketing for men to buy women lingerie and not mm-hmm. really understanding the woman experience of it right like where it's like yeah, you feel good well in lingerie you feel good wearing lingerie um, and I think Rihanna just flipped it on its head and that's why it's successful it's hard to flip for just her Fenty line to flip fashion on its head there was uh, it, it, I I don't know. I'm I'm digging myself a hole. No, I think actually no, 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 you're not. I think but, what yeah. you're saying is is on because it also brings up the concept of inclusivity, which has been so core to her line, not from beauty, but to see yeah. her shows where you have, and it's also a reflection of her because she's been through a myriad of body changes and she's rocked yeah. all of it with style and and like just 
been un unadulterated Rihanna. And I think seeing her shows where you have women who are all different shapes and sizes, which was exciting and palatable for a lot of women, yes. sort of like women creating lingerie for women to enjoy for themselves and not not as a performative act for men, I think was so yes. in line and adjacent to the cosmetics, which were also sort of inclusive for women by women that I think was really exciting for Rihanna. Oh, you guys nailed it. And Zach, I'm so happy you brought up the um, runway show because that is a piece of it that I'm going to touch on. So I'm going to get into story time. Sit back, relax. Um, here we go. Here we go. Uh, so in 2019, uh, Rihanna announced her partnership with LVMH, which is the world's biggest fashion conglomerate, which was actually really revolutionary. I mean, already, are you guys getting red flags 2019? Mm. Hello, it's the pandemic. We're, oh. There might be some problems approaching. Um, okay. So she announced her partnership with the biggest fashion conglomerate in the world. Um, one, this is revolutionary because this would make Fenty only the second ever built from scratch brand that LVMH has ever backed in its years in fashion. The first was Christian Lacroix in the 80s and was later sold off. Like that's not really a household mm. name. Um, and two, it's the first ever label led by a black woman. Mm. Uh, you know, Rihanna, she has great style and popular influence but she also doesn't have any formal old fashioned design training. And here they were putting her at the, the reins to drive this brand. Mm. This venture had so much weighing on it because of these two pieces and really signified LVMH's foray into the future. So they were really depending on it to kind of propel them into this new generation of consumers. Um, Here's some things about the collection. The collection decided to go for regular drops, which is uh, probably every six to eight weeks instead of the regular seasonal drops. <laughs> I'm looking at Zach's face. I'm going to explain that. So I get it. No, seasonal drops. You I'm know. Following okay. that. I'm you following get it. that. Yeah, I'm following Felicia, that. as a funny side story and antidote, I started our initial Instagram. And obviously, I, I'm big in the fashion world. So I started following all these models and fashion influencers and <laughs> and fashion houses and now poor zach has to like help with our instagram channels well, it's funny because and he's like my.com he's like why he's so surprised that there is a uh runway show like every week i'm he's like, like every there... week fashion week yeah, it's yeah. Every, like there's 52 new york fashion weeks throughout the year like what's going on oh why? my goodness i don't get it and actually my.com <laughs> was owned by lvmh the first dot com I know it was yeah really? it was it was wow. well it was um bought out by e-luxury which was owned by lvmh Okay. Oh my gosh. You are becoming my favorite person. <laughs> I love that too. um really quickly um so <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we talked about regular drops. So the collection already kind of decided to do something different than regular fashion houses did, which was seasonal drops. Um, they instead decided to do every six to eight weeks, which I feel, and maybe Felicia, you would agree, like fast fashion does one drop every 52 weeks. There's 52 weeks in a year. Yeah. That's why it's called fast fashion. This is kind of bordering, you know, it's walking the line oh. of like, overconsumption already, yeah. in my opinion. Um, 
And also, instead of runway shows, it is focusing on digital direct-to-consumer sales and communication. It decided not to do runway shows. Um, The collection priced in the entry designer category, so jogger pants would cost $280, t-shirts started at $180, hoodies at $300. uh, Does that surprise you, Zach? Yeah. I see your face. Is that expensive? For me, yes, absolutely. But I'm not a fashion person. A t-shirt at 180? <laughs> yeah. Um, and an oversized padded denim jacket for $940 and dresses between 600 and 700 So while, yes, it is more, it is a, a little bit higher price than what we would see at like Topshop or Nordstrom, um, it, it's not really that designer category. Yeah. The red flags so are just already huge. In- Thank you. I was thinking the same thing. No, I really, and I wanted to pause here because already in hindsight, I'm looking at this and I can tell that the strategy, they're setting themselves up for failure because she's not aligning herself with luxury fashion and she's not aligning herself with fast fashion. She's trying to walk this middle line, Mm. but she has so much weighing on her, right? Like this is the first second built from scratch brand that LVMH has ever backed. Um, and she's partnering with a luxury line whose lines like Dior and uh, Louis Vuitton are notorious for not reaching the masses. But yet she decides to give up runways and do direct to consumers. Oh man. You know, Dior wants to be out of reach, being so elite that you only see these drops come four times a year on runway shows. She's, she's walking a weird line. Yeah. Do you guys yeah. agree? Yeah, I think. There's a lot of sort of red flags that unfortunately don't set her up for success and put a lot of put a lot of pressure on her to be many different things. It's not only to be the face of the brand and mobilize its sales, but it's also demanding her to fulfill the the gap, the, the, the customer base that would buy like there are customers who have no problem dropping three hundred dollars on a hoodie. Um, yeah. and but the problem is that those customers are a different kind of customer than perhaps maybe the Rihanna fan base would be, the mass fan base. And those kind of customers have a certain sort of expectation in terms of what a $300 hoodie would would come from versus, you know, fast fashion. So I think one, they were trying to, to sort of lump together a few different kind of customer groups um, that have different yeah. sort of spending and expectations of designer versus, you know, that middle of the road, not fast fashion and fast fashion. But at the yeah. same time, it's sort of like you're trying to lump everything into one pot and put Rihanna's <laughs> face on it. And that's sort of unfair. <laughs> that's exactly right. Like if they would have backed her to do like, um, like a glam sexy line, like, like a Jessica Simpson, but maybe a little bit more higher tier. Yes. Um, yes. And, people would have bought it but it's sort of like you're asking rihanna to both do that and be at the row at the same time where you know the row Mm -hmm. would have things that are priced 300 to like two thousand dollars it just you're you're asking too much of a celebrity who doesn't have who has the celebrity who has the following who has people who would buy into her for a certain sort of aesthetic at a certain price point but it's it's sort of unfair to also demand of her that she would also be palatable to folks who are uh, accustomed to be spending higher price points for a specific yeah. kind of product. Like if they would have paired her, let's say with 
a Christopher John Rogers, right? If they would have, she would have been like, let's say the face of the brand, but you had a really strong creative director who, mm. who understood how to satisfy the sort of luxury consumer, but at the same time, maybe made a diffusion line. You know, she could have had several different lines that would have made this work if you had sort of the right partners and infrastructure in place to actually make it happen. I think it's actually, and what pisses me off about this is that if it, you know, you're setting her up for failure and when she does fail, they won't yeah. invest in another <laughs> woman because that's yeah. exactly their, right. Their strategy, it's not her, it's their strategy that doesn't make sense to me. That's exactly right. Can I toss out, because I toss out a question to you guys, because I think you're so right, Felicia. And for me, if I'm thinking of Rihanna as a brand, I love what you've been saying about like having your brand be an extension of yourself. And I'm trying to think of a consumer base that fits this window of like not quite luxury, but not fast fashion. What comes to mind is streetwear, yeah. right? Like high-end streetwear, Supreme, like those type of like high-end yes. streetwear. I feel like if you would have turned Fenty into like a luxurious streetwear line, that would have yes. taken off. That right? makes sense. That makes wrong? so much sense. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love that idea. Um, hindsight. Hindsight. Yeah. We always, we always talk about, Zach and I always say to clients, if you're trying to appeal to everybody, you're going to appeal nobody. to nobody. Yep. And this was exactly what happened. Um, she was really trying to partner up with a high-end luxury fashion line, but also appeal to her demographic, which was not at that price point. Like her fans are not at that price point. Mm. Um, they are offer, they are willing to spend more, i.e. like the Fenty beauty makeup line. They are willing to spend more, but not what she was what she was demanding. And I think so, the match right also on. was challenging because on the flip side of that, you have LVMH, which has been successful for a very specific way to a very specific customer base using very specific branding and marketing campaigns. It's sort of like mm -hmm. an engine. And now it's sort of to mm -hmm. me, it sort of reeks of desperation of, oh, God, we want to appeal to Gen Z. We want to kind of. Exactly. Get the Gen Z in early so when they have more disposable income, we can have them buy up into different brands, you know, like maybe down the road, they'll buy Hermes or they'll buy whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, they're not understanding, like, like it's, it's sort of Rihanna not being a fit for what they, the expectations of luxury as opposed to what you were saying streetwear, which makes infinitely much more sense. Um, but at the flip side, it's sort of LVMH not really understanding the Rihanna customer base or understanding yeah. like what would be best for them. It's sort of like, oh, we're just gonna throw luxury at that base. Not understanding wouldn't necessarily be a fit. And it would have been smarter to your point to have them maybe start with streetwear, which would make sense for Rihanna and, and then yeah. evolve the brand, um, you know, as Rihanna evolves or have diffusion lines or whatever. It just, it felt coming from both ends of the spectrum didn't even make sense in retrospect. Exactly right. Exactly right. And you mentioned something that jogged a memory. It's like when um, Victoria's Secret is a great example. Um, in a couple years ago, they decided to ditch all of their branding and marketing and threw a woman in as a CEO as this last ditch effort to save their, save their brand image. Mm. And LVMH kind of did the same thing where it was like, oh, shoot, we need to kind of catch up with the times. Like all of our brands are so timeless and historic 
generic. Now we need to have an updated brand. So I don't know. Let's just throw Rihanna in the mix. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, I think one of the str- struggles with brands in general, and I've seen this with a lot of clients I worked with um, on the agency side where they don't understand. They Everyone wants Gen Z. Before, when I was like in the late aughts, it was like, we want millennials. It was like the big conversation. Yeah, we yeah. want millennials because yeah. of the disposable income. And of course, millennials have the largest population, so more money. And and yeah. now it's a conversation with Gen Z. And I think the challenge is brands, it's that desperation of, of wanting all of that disposable income, but not understanding um, the ways in which you actually grow a customer into a brand. It's sort of not just throwing what you have at them. It's sort of saying, okay, like mm-hmm. years ago, for example, not really a sexy example, but a decent one. Um, I worked on Clinique. And Clinique is an interesting brand because it's old oh. school. It's like when you think of Clinique, you think of your mom, right? And so Clinique, yep. Yep. Um, they were thinking, God, how do we become really relevant to millennials? Which was a struggle because, you know, all millennials saw was their mom using Clinique. And I think yeah. one of the things they had thought about was the idea of mom passing on Clinique to their kids when they go to when they start college. Like this is an affordable entry level brand that actually works. You can borrow my Clinique or I'll gift you a set or whatever as a sort of the entry point between the girl being a kid versus her developing her own mm-hmm. taste as a woman after college is that middle of the road period. So they were smart in thinking, okay, I want to target a specific woman, a specific period of time to actually have her start in with us for a reason that's a little bit more emotional because she's connected to her mom as she's leaving her mom. But at the same time, try to use that to introduce her to the brand. So while once she leaves college or develops her own identity and taste, et cetera, and she's like, eh, Clinique was, they have a great moisturizer or whatever, but I'm going to get all, let's say, get all these Fenty products. But she may still stick with some fundamentals of the Clinique line because they work and they're cheap. Well, cheaper Mm. than other brands, right? And so if I think of a lot of brands who are so desperate to go after these lucrative audiences, they're not it's what they're trying to do is they're trying to jump on TikTok or they're trying to jump on social or jump on the backs of influencers trying to wheel them in and they may get them in but they have no idea from a business perspective and a brand perspective of how to retain and keep them i think that's i think everyone this is my biggest issue with brands in general is that everyone's so desperate to acquire and acquisitions literally not that hard you can actually buy customers to come into your brand but it's getting them yeah. to stick with the brand and grow with it. Yeah. That's actually where the money is. And that's not a sexy. And that's actually more on the brand itself to make sure that they have the products, the message, the marketing, all the things behind it to actually satisfy that customer when they're, let's say, 22 years old, growing with them until they're like 30 and they have a lot more disposable income and maybe their taste and lifestyle has changed. Those are really hard things to do. And I think a lot of brands are trying to take the shortcuts with partnerships or like, you know, fun marketing campaigns that like work for a small period of time. But then to your point, what you guys were saying earlier, customers are smarter than ever, especially Gen Z, so super skeptical that they're willing to cut Mm -hmm. bait immediately if the brand doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense to them or or if they smell out a collaboration that absolutely makes no sense. Like if Rihanna would have partnered with Supreme, that would have been amazing. (laughs) Like I could yes. see the lines around the block, but like I could see her fans going LVMH. They make Hermes. They make like they. Yeah. Yep. It made no sense for this demographic because 
they couldn't even buy into and across the brand portfolio. Like you're going to ask yeah. a, like a 21 year old kid to like walk into Chanel. Like, like it's bananas. I don't even understand it. Anyway. <laughs> well, and, and you did talk about like having that legendary designer on board as well. Yeah. And that was a big mistake too. She brought her own team. Ugh. And so she brought uh, her stylist. I can't remember his name, um, but she brought her stylist to work as a designer. And at that point, it's like, you're not even attaching yourself to a legendary designer of the LVMH brand. So yeah. it's kind of like, you're really, yeah. yeah. Um, but I want to keep moving feel- on. Oh, oh, sorry. It, just one point. It does feel like, to your point, Felicia, earlier of mixing this data and creative, it feels like LVMH took a look at a spreadsheet and says, this is the demographic <laughs> we're missing. Let's just tack on a brand. That the most popular this. name. Like, yeah. it, like that's, what it, that's what it feels like, right? Like yeah. it doesn't mesh with anything else. They're like, we're missing this. Here's a spreadsheet. Boom. Now fill it in. Yeah. Like, I think you're I think right. It's mixing that creative, right? I think we've all been in uh, meetings where the oldest white man at the meeting <laughs> brings out that spreadsheet oh. and says, we need to hit millennials. Oh. <laughs> you're like okay john or, or yeah. when they say yeah. but my john. favorite from back in the day is when they would say oh my daughter's on facebook we need to get on facebook yes. yeah <laughs> i'm so totally I'm so glad that you have the research for millennials to support yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, well done well done oh, focus goodness. group of one well done oh, goodness. so an- another big thing um that i want to talk about and you guys are definitely going to have some opinions about this fenty had no physical store or sufficient on-ground presence oh. um which i thought you talked about the savage fenty show and you know their runway was the talk of the town you know it is enjoyable to watch everybody watches it from you to me to my parents you know whatever it, it really really it was really fun to watch and it really um you start to identify what type of brand language they have if fenty has no physical store they're dropping six to eight times like everything i mean i i don't even have to list it but it's all just all sorts of confusing um so uh, some other LVMH brands proved resilient during COVID uh, and during the pandemic, like Louis Vuitton and Dior, um, but Fenty clothing line definitely struggled to find its footing. Um, and, and one of these reasons, it didn't have a brand heritage. It didn't have a story. It didn't have an established following. Mm. I mean, there were so many things working against Rihanna. You know, you you Felicia, you were like, what pisses me off? I, you know, <laughs> reading all of this, this pisses yeah. me off. Um, there were so many, they just did not set her up for success. Um, even the, just, even the so, small things of expectations of fit and quality, you know, like if, yes. if like if someone is going to buy from Louis Vuitton or from a known established brand, they have a sense of, okay, I know what the product's going to feel like. I know how it's going to be cut. I know the construction. I know the fit on me. So there's a level of confidence and trust that's already been established with the customer. Like, I think the issue with not even having a physical presence is it's it's sort of thinking if we want to talk like traditional funnel, which is not exciting, but that you get all these people into the height and they're excited. But at the same time, in order to actually convert them and keep them, they have to have a certain level of trust of, OK, these Absolutely. these these clothes are cool. They're going to fit. Yep. They're high quality. They're not like Shein or fast fashion. They're going to fall apart in a few months. And so they want to have, especially during the pandemic, and also with people being nervous about their income, all of their purchases are that much more charged in the sense of, 
okay, I have to make sure if I'm not just buying a celebrity brand just to buy the brand, I have to make sure that if I'm buying something, it's actually going to fit and look great. Um, and it's not just me buying the celebrity anymore. Yes, yep. that's exactly right. So, you know, we talked a lot about this. The, the end result is Fenty clothing line is no more. It, it went <laughs> under. Um, so sad day. Um, I know. I'm all, I'm all upset uh, now. I think Rihanna's doing just fine, guys. I, mean, I think she's sure. doing okay. Yeah, we for don't need sure. to mourn the loss. But yeah. you know, I think I, I think it did get us worked up because we realized how many things were going against her, and this thing wasn't yeah. set up for success from the get go, from the jump off, and it had so much exciting potential. I mean, being the first led black woman at the reins. Mm uh for a for a fashion house like lvmh and then not only that but like the second built from scratch brand that's massive that means like lvmh had so much um uh they were depending they were uh what am i trying to say trust they had so much trust in rihanna to make this a commercial success and um it's 2023 it launched in 2019 it only had mm. legs for four years and in all those four years they were struggling to find their niche mm. so i want to talk about another brand um we've talked rihanna to death um let's talk beyonce uh oh, God. and i'm just having so <laughs> much fun I'm Out having so much mind. fun. I do want to talk about this with you guys. I would know. I know we're at the hour mark, but I'm having a good no, time. Are you no, guys? Are you guys in it? Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, I'm good. I mean, as okay, good as so the time gonna... as I can have talking about Rihanna and Beyonce. <laughs> you know, so. Um, so Beyonce uh, launched Ivy Park. The label was created in 2016 in partnership with former Top Shop owner. Philip Green. Do you know what Topshop is? Everyone, yep. know, everyone knows what Topshop is here. Topshop is uh, actually a brand. UK. I thought that they, it is a UK brand. They're in Nordstrom. Um, hmm. Kind of like, would you compare it to like H&M maybe? Like Zara maybe? Zara uh, maybe, yeah. Like from okay. the price point, so does Zara price point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so they launched in 2016 uh, and offered a range of fashion, forward sports, and athleisure wear. Right off the bat, do we get any vibes from this? No? Okay. I'm going to uh, keep going. I, I mean, I, I just, so it's, but it's Beyonce headed, It's Beyonce. Right? And it's, it's sports and athleisure yep. wear. Because Felicia, you just got me thinking. I mean, I think it's such a great point that if you're going to start a company, it's got to fit within the brand. I don't know exactly. if Beyonce. Yeah, is I wasn't a huge I mean, fan of Ivy Park. But yeah. I thought it's like, it's That's so funny. When I think of Beyonce, I thought, wow, she could have had a collaboration. Let's say, for example, with Telfar. I don't know if you're familiar with that brand in those bags. Yes, yes. Because she talks about them as like, oh, I don't wear Birkins. I support Black-owned brands. And so she was talking mm. about carrying a Telfar bag. And when I think of Beyonce, mm. when I think of, I think of her, obviously, akin to Rihanna as glamorous, fashion-forward, um, very prolifically Black-supporting, Black-owned. And so it just, yeah. it felt for me a little weird that she I mean yes you can kind of make athleisure street and I kind of get that angle although she named it after her daughter which was a little weird but at the same time <laughs> I could see how people because people really love Beyonce I mean like it's it's rabid I could see how they would initially buy into it but I, I 
for me, that was a little bit confusing in terms of longevity. Like when I think of Adidas or like, let's say partnering with Kanye and Yeezy, that made a little bit more sense to me yeah. because of his aesthetic yeah. um, and how he dresses yeah. and his vibe. And that just made sense because of like really fashion forward footwear makes sense for him. But like, yeah. I mean, I've seen the Ivy Park line, like leggings and joggers, and they're not like, super fashion forward they just have ivy park written on the side of the leg and i was like oh i want to talk about that i want to talk about that yes that's exactly right and you guys nailed it you guys nailed it though i mean um beyonce is associated with glam what and she is not an athlete what is she doing making an athleisure wear Mm. um so, but I will say in 2016, it was initially so successful in the UK that it crashed oh. the site and had a queue around the block. Yeah, I heard that. Now I will say, I've been thinking about why this was so successful in the UK. And I think, um, like you said, Topshop is a UK brand. Um, and it was in collaboration with Topshop. Yeah. So it was kind of like this new line that came out and it's kind of like it creates that sense of urgency. Limited edition. Yeah. Ex- limited edition. That's yeah. exactly right. So do you know if Topshop's marketing dollars were behind it? it was, is that kind of what drove it as well? Like Topshop was promoting it and okay, cool. It, it Well, Topshop, it, it showed up in their stores. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. And they're a machine in um, terms of just marketing and, and the foot traffic in their stores. Like it would make sense for a limited collaboration because also yes, it's sort of exactly. like if you think about Target and H&M and they have amazing collaborations with designers, a lot of a lot of those things do sell out. And especially if it's very yeah. known and there's a passion behind it, but something beyond sort of a limited edition sort of initial collab, it doesn't make sense to me. Yes. So, and keep in mind that in UK, it was wildly successful, but somehow it didn't see the same success in the United States. Um, So right off the bat, again, it was a confusing line. Beyonce isn't known for fashion or sports. She's known for glam. Like, like I said, she can show up on the red carpet and the demand, the, the spotlight, but she's not known to put together pieces uh, herself. Um, it doesn't really go with her personal brand or it didn't go with Topshop either. Yeah. Um, so it was a confusing place of sale with a very average product. And really, you talked about marketing dollars. They were banking on Beyonce's celebrity status. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In terms of dollars. Right, Felicia, like naming it after your kid, like when you're Beyonce status, like as far as branding goes. Uh, just, well, yeah. let me talk about the name. So Ivy Park is, yes, uh, her daughter is Ivy. And then Park is uh, after Parkwood, which was the street she grew up on in Atlanta, I think. Anyways, it was the street yeah. she grew up on. Um, so it has that kind of like hood reference, mm. but Ivy kind of a nod to her mm. daughter. Do- yeah. I don't know. Um, So let's talk, let's talk money. The first year they saw $12 million in total, but they saw a net loss of $7 million. The second year they saw 17 million gross net loss, 9.5. So yes, it just like right off the bat, even though it saw commercial success uh, in the UK at the bottom dollar, they were losing money. Um, Mm. 
And here's the thing, you know, you talked about the the overall design. There wasn't anything unique about the actual line. Yeah. And it wasn't cheaper either. There was no new perspective, nothing new about the marketing past the Beyonce endorsement. Um, and so I want to pause here because you know what other line comes to mind is Kate Hudson's Fabletics. Oh, yes. Yeah. And why was Fabletics so massively successful while Ivy Park, same level of quality, same celebrity status, why did that one fail? I think a couple of things. I think, um, and, and just as an aside, I think this could have worked if it would have been with Jay-Z and not Beyonce because uh, of his history with Rockefeller. Yeah. I think it would have made sense if he had come out with something mm -hmm. versus her as an aside. I was just thinking about that out loud. But I think with um, Kate Hudson, one, I think it's a combination of the Fabletics um, business model of how they sell, um, yeah. which is which is interesting. And it, the being a subscription model and, and getting things and you could try yeah. things out and that kind of thing. I think that was palatable. And I think she... I think, didn't she launch this when she had lost a pile of weight after she had a kid or something? And she was, and she was mm. really into fitness and yoga and working out and all of these things. And so she would actually be out photographed in athleisure and leggings and all that sort of yeah. stuff. It's it sort of, not that I think it, it makes complete sense, but I think the Fabletics business model on how they work with like, you know, influencers and celebrities is a little bit, it's more of the Fabletics like name and materials and less about believing yeah. that Kate Hudson could be a designer. Well, <laughs> you're you're touching on my opinion also. My thinking is it's cheaper. Yeah. Fabletics offers a cheaper product than Lululemon. Beyonce's product was not cheaper than Lululemon, but it was so you either have to have a cheaper product or you have to have a superior product. Yeah. And Ivy Park was neither. Mm -hmm. And I want to also talk about, you said Ivy Park down the legging, just like the <laughs> name down the <laughs> legging. And, and it's true. Like they put Ivy Park on everything. And I've been thinking about that. And it's like, if I'm going to wear a name, that name better be badass. And like cool. I better yeah. be and cool yeah. like you talked about supreme i would wear mm -hmm. a supreme hoodie you know that person is like okay that guy that guy's up to date on skateboards <laughs> i don't know yeah now <laughs> you're out of your depth yeah and there's, and there's, also, just, there's also just this sort of backlash against excessive logomania i think there was like a love yeah. for oh, logos yes. and just being garish like you know lb and all of that sort of or so gucci and gucci. whatnot but yep. it's like when I looked at that, it just kind of felt, even though it was Beyonce, it felt like since there was nothing innovative about the product, it just felt, it kind of felt like, well, I could be wearing a McDonald's t-shirt or I could be wearing yes. something <laughs> with like a name on it that I'm branded, but it, there's nothing like, like Supreme has really fun, innovative clothing yeah. and, and their collaborations are cool. Their graphics are cool. Like that is an established aesthetic. I don't think, Beyonce established even an aesthetic. It's just like it could have been an Adidas sweatpants. All that's different is that she yeah. put Ivy Park on down on the side of it. And I don't know about you, but and I wasn't into, like wearing Ivy Park at the gym if <laughs> they weren't no cool exactly or superior. And there was no 
yeah, there was no reputation that Ivy Park was attached to. And by the way, Felicia, I will not tell Beyonce that you uh, made reference to a McDonald's t-shirt. <laughs> oh God, her fans. I won't tell her that. Fans. I love Beyonce, by the way. Yeah. The way to beehive. save that one, Felicia. Way to save the that beehive. one. Yeah, don't come for us. Don't add us. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, yes, the the name had no heritage. It had no reputation. Whereas, like, people love repping, you know, the Gucci logo or the LV logo because you know you paid a lot of money for it. Yeah. There was nothing about Ivy Park that stood out. Yeah. Um, like it, to your point, so, there wasn't even status associated with it because, uh, like, the lake, like the think of the masses. The, maybe the masses know Beyonce. Like, you know, mom in Middle yeah. America knows who Beyonce is because maybe she saw the Super Bowl or whatnot. But if it's let's say mom, let's say middle America is at the gym and she sees someone Ivy parked out, there's nothing about that she would associate with status or even know that it was Beyonce. So yeah. this sort of like coastal niche of people who found it sort of uh, relevant, it, it makes it hard to translate to the masses, A, that it's who it is, and B, the quality not being any different, and C, there's no signature of status. Because a lot of people... Like, I mean, we know who these things are, but if you, it's always shocking to me. Like if you go in the middle of the country, people are like, what's Ivy Park? Like people don't know who Ivy Park is. They may know Beyonce, they'll know Jay-Z because they're so huge and you can't escape the name, but they're not going to be, and I'm not even going to say sophisticated. It's just, they're not going to be as aware of that to even assign it a level of status that it would be cool for someone to wear it at the, at the gym. Yeah. Well, and now that I'm thinking, like, if Beyonce was photographed by the paparazzi wearing Ivy Park, to me, that feels so unauthentic. Yeah. Like, you know, she has other brands that she would much rather be wearing because this is not a superior product. Yeah. And it would feel like a pl- publicity stunt. Uh, rather than if Kate Hudson was photographed wearing Fabletics, the Fabletics name is not anywhere on those products. Yep. So it does feel very authentic. Yeah. Um, because she's not showboating mm-hmm. like the Fabletics name. She's just out for a walk in a comfortable pair of leggings that she probably owns a million of. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about, um, so she, uh, sorry, I skipped a little piece of it. I should tell you that in spring of 2018, Beyonce signed over 75% of her shares and they slowly Ooh. liquidated the company. Um, but they did, she was, she kept full ownership of the name. So in spring of 18, she was already in talks of meeting with Adidas, Nike, Under Armour. It just seemed like a way better option to to partner with an actual athletic company yeah. Yeah. rather than Topshop, who was kind of like middle of the road fashion. Um, so the, she did partner with Adidas and the first and second collection sold out in minutes. It was doing incredibly well. Something that is worth noting was that they really took off the blue, uh, sorry, the Ivy mm. Park yep. name and instead put the three stripes. Mm. And now it feels badass. Yeah. Now yeah. it's like, okay, I'm wearing a reputable co- uh, co- streetwear company. Streetwear? I don't know. I'll call them streetwear company. A reputable athleisure brand. And they've partnered with uh, Beyonce to make it dope. Yeah. Yeah. Limited um, edition, just like you were saying, Felicia. Yeah, exactly. Limited edition. I, I completely agree with that. that I'm glad sense. you brought that back up because even though the first and so- second collection sold out and was wildly successful, it really had a hard time gaining traction after that. Um, 
I, and I will, you know, Adidas was a good brand because they put hundreds of millions of dollars into product innovation. So not only were you transitioning to wear the three stripes, you were also, it was a superior product. Yeah. But consumers um, are probably buying it because it's primarily Adidas because exactly yeah. it has, it has yes. the trust. And, and like, think maybe the icing is, oh, maybe it's Beyonce, I'm supporting her, whatever. But for the long term, again, it just doesn't even make sense to associate you know, Beyonce with leggings, because I don't even think I've yeah. seen, yes. maybe, maybe in some shots on the street, Beyonce wearing, cause she's so glam. Um, she's so yeah. glam. Yeah. Yes, exactly. All the time. Um, it's like Hailey Bieber no, wrote, it. or, or Jennifer Lopez. There was this whole kerfluffle with Jennifer Lopez. She was putting on her own skincare and you'd see like thousands of comics. Like you're not even wearing your own skincare in real life. Like, would you stop? No lying to people <laughs> yeah no I sense. agree I agree yeah <laughs> I think um oh. so I do want to say um so Adidas launched with this awesome marketing video you know it looked like a Beyonce music video so obviously there was some commercial success around that um and then here's here's some debacle or I liked your word kerfuffle I'm going to start <laughs> using that uh so the marketing debut um Beyonce sent racks of products to celebrities like Kim Kardashian, Zendaya, Rita Ora, and even Reese Witherspoon was thrown in there. I'll nice. let you guys digest that. Nice. Um, and this actually caused fans to be really upset because they are diehard, you know, the beehive. Yeah. Uh, they're loyal and they actually felt entitled to being gifted the products themselves. Like, I think they were really thrown off by the fact that Beyonce decided to partner with Kim Kardashian instead of her fans. Do you, what do you guys think of that? Do you think that handing out her collection to fans over celebrities could have helped her brand? I think in the short term, not necessarily in the yeah. long term, I think, and I actually understand where they're coming from because I think the impression that they have of her is that even though she's so glam, because like I, I've rarely seen maybe like with Selena is slightly close to that. But the kind of fan base that is so impassioned yeah. by Die her. Yeah. And it's not just yes. her. It's like what she stands for as a woman, as a black yes. woman, as someone who's very who speaks her truth. I think people are so like these parasocial relationships where they feel so connected to Beyonce that I think um, they would have bought into it initially if she had shared their product with them. It sort of feels like. Here she is, let's say on Lemonade, revealing her life, being really honest with her life and and people feeling a deep connection to her. But then her gatekeeping and going to shallow celebrities. I'm not saying Zendaya, I'm thinking Kim Kardashian. Going to Kim Kardashian yeah. or Reese Witherspoon, who yeah. makes absolutely no sense. It, it's sort of no like sense. a lot of these fans are like, she is she in a way she felt like she belongs to us. So why don't we get... Yeah. A sample. I actually understand that completely, but I think after it again, it's sort of like when I think of Beyonce and the longevity of a product. I don't. I don't. I just don't see leggings. I I see maybe like <laughs> fancy handbags or you know perfume or something else. I just. I. Yeah. I. It's hard to grasp. On. I think it would have had a great initial run, or it would have lasted longer. But I can't see this being a brand that, you know, when I think of brands that are, you know, viable, like Adidas has lasted so long, there's a reason for that. And I think with these celebrity brands, I think the the purview is so short 
and thinking, oh, we'll just get all these customers. They're actually not thinking of the long term of like, are we really going to make this like a brand for the long haul? Are we really going to just connect Beyonce to leggings and athleisure for like yeah. decades? Like, <laughs> yeah. what's the game plan? Yes, yes. What's the end game? Yes, exactly. You know, and I think that's what confuses a lot of people because they don't see the, the they don't see the arc of of you know yeah. Beyonce in association with this kind of fashion versus like a Kate Hudson and Fabletics people are still going to buy Fabletics regardless of Kate Hudson um and it's not mm-hmm. like branded people are just buy it because you know it's cheap and it's actually effective blah 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 so it's less of a risk than planting all your eggs in the Beyonce basket and assuming her fan base which is also sophisticated and super smart and discerning that they're going to buy into this for a longer period of time. It's just, I don't know. I don't think it's be, I think it's sort of on the fault of brands again, coming back to this sense of we will do anything to stay relevant or capture Gen Z or capture mm-hmm. those dollars without thinking, well, yes, what is yeah. the long, what does this look like from a brand perspective for the long haul? I love this. You, um, I'm going to skip ahead because I pulled out a quote from the Wall Street Journal stating that the best brands elevate themselves beyond the person. And Skims is a great yeah. example. You know, their marketing rarely feature Kim anymore. And Fabletics is actually a great example too. I think they went heavy in the paint, hard in the paint. Sorry, my sports references are a little <laughs> off. <laughs> hard Quoting in the paint. Waka Flocka up in here. All right. All right. <laughs> They go hard in the paint with Kate Hudson initially to launch it, to gain some legs. But then you see Fabletics really standing on its own these days. Like, I don't really associate it with Kate Hudson anymore. Yeah. Me either. Um, and, and, and the Skims brand is the same way. Um, you know, they do definitely feature Kim a lot, um, but it does stand alone. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I um, actually own a lot of Skims, not because, and I am not a fan of the Kardashians whatsoever, um, I bought mm. into it because I just heard from other consumers. Well, this is exceptional quality, and they're super comfortable yeah. for like, like, like just joggers at home. And I think it, like, for me, the appeal was never Kim Kardashian. It was like the feel of the clothes, the materials, going on the website, which was exciting to see. Okay, I could see how these joggers look on a woman who's a size two X versus a woman who's a size yeah. extra small. That's super appealing. I think Kim was one of the early adopters of having different sizes on a website which was appealing to a lot of women and so i don't for me yes of course you know it's it's that kim kardashian name but now i don't even make that association and it's 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 akin Mm. to what you said about fabletics i don't even think about kate hudson anymore i think of like Mm. okay these are affordable like workout gear that i know it's going to be pretty good it's going to last me a long time maybe not as long as lululemon but it's good for the Mm. dollar value i'll buy it if there's a celebrity and they have a cool design attached to it fine i might buy into the collaboration at the end of the day it has to be the quality of the product that sustains it that's exactly right um and and i think you were spot on too you know handing her to collection over to her fans versus a celebrity could have been a short-term initiative Mm. and i do think it would have been successful honestly um i think about (laughs) uh zach knows my fascination and obsession with taylor swift i'm you know you're swifty yeah I'll, i'll I'm a Swifty. I love it. Um, yeah, uh, but so Taylor Swift did this thing a while ago where she just invited a group of her fans to listen to the album before it was actually launched. And she continues to do that on every album release. And 
it, it's it just feels really authentic i think that's why there is so many swifties and yeah. there she feels genuine i don't know you guys might disagree but no, I she agree. does feel genuine towards her fans at the very mm. least yeah, and so you know if beyonce has such a fan base um and they are so loyal to her they were kind of expecting something back which at the same time beyonce's never really been that she very much keeps a barrier between yeah. her and her fans like whereas taylor swift is all about her fans yeah so you would expect that from her but you wouldn't really you know sorry Zach, yeah. did you have something to no say? no i i completely but it goes back to my point of i do think the term celebrity is is saturated now because even within the umbrella of beyonce there's people that lead fan groups and um pages and whatever and they're their own sub celebrity in the beyonce the beehive sphere so <laughs> same True. thing with same thing with swifties right you got like many celebrities that just mm. live under this blanket of taylor swift so yeah. i think you're right like it's becoming saturated if she would have leveraged those micro <laughs> beyonce influencers uh i think it would have been or i think success. she i think you know what's interesting about all of this is that a lot of brands also have to kind of negotiate what these parasocial relationships are like right yeah. and so it, beyonce does have that reputation of like holding her brand close and that's fine that she can lead a brand like that and mm. it's proven to be successful but that 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 has to be consistent in everything that she does and and the choices she makes and what to launch so if she's going to launch something that's so direct to consumer that you know she's depending that her name is dependent upon its success as opposed to the product in and of itself it's not unwise to think that consumers would have a certain expectation of access even though she's never delivered access right so it's yeah. celebrities having yes. and celebrities and brands having to negotiate how does this brand or the way what we launch how we launch it and to whom we launch it how does it make sense in an era where it's seismically different. If you think of 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the relationships of customers with brands, now it's so different where people do have an yeah. expectation of access and connection, even if it's not mm. real, but to them it feels real. So for these Swifty fans, they feel so connected to her because she's so smart and strategic. And I, I believe it is genuine, but it's also strategic. Yeah. And, and how she is. keeps her fans for the course of her career that I think Beyonce maybe can't make those same choices because the way that she's built her brand and that has to predicate what she comes out with and how she does it. And so like for her, for me, that's a miss on her part, not understanding if she's going to come out with something like this, it's not dependent upon the innovation, but dependent upon her name. It's, it's of course expected that they would have some level of access. So maybe it wasn't smart yeah. of her to do this, Maybe to do something where you, it's not predicated on her name to actually drive the business, but something else or something that didn't have a level of access, maybe luxury. I'm not saying that's the right fit, but something more in line with you know the complete yes. totality of her brand that wouldn't yes. upset her fans and wouldn't have them demanding because they don't demand this level of access to her music. They just love her music and they buy it and it's fine. And there's a certain expectation yep. of that wall. But if you're getting into different direct-to-consumer launches that's independent of her art, then I think there is a, a way in which you have to look at it in terms of, okay, how do I actually position and sell these products to my fans be, while still being authentic to the brand? So I think Taylor Swift could have yeah. come out with something like that, and it would have worked. 
because she is so heavily connected to her fans. She probably would have gotten her cat to like wear leggings or something, and that would have like blown up. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. Is it? I was just thinking, isn't, isn't what cat, would be Taylor like, Swift's than line? Billy Bieber? Yeah, some oh some God. shit like that. Did, some she, did shit you like see that. this meme? That what like, would be Taylor Swift's line? Like cardigans? Like a Taylor Swift line of cardigans? Like what would be her? Oh, I line? love that. I, I love, love that for that. her. I do love that for her. Okay. <laughs> Maybe okay. her little cat. Done. Isn't her cat worth like ninety five million dollars? <laughs> yeah. Oh my like God, it. is that a stat? Yeah. Well, it was a, a yeah. meme that um, Taylor Swift's cat can buy Haley Bieber four times over and still have seventeen million dollars. <laughs> Like when when Haley Bieber, I was like, you know what? If, mm. if if Taylor Swift came out with cardigans or anything related to a cat, I would be here for it. Yes, <laughs> I would be here for it. The don't be a mean girl. The lesson <laughs> exactly. that we're trying to impart. <laughs> um, I think actually, you know, listening to you, what I'm kind of getting is maybe Beyonce just shouldn't have given her products away to celebrities, and she would have been okay. Yeah, it, it's either. You, you get yeah you you maintain that brand integrity which is creating a separation between you and your fans which also is creating a separation between you and the industry too beyonce isn't really known to be like this like fraternize yeah. with other industry icons or she could have made money by you know there's a lot of celebrities that um back brands with their money and they invest in brands without ha attaching to yes. their name to it yeah and she could have made a pile of money let's say if like investing in telfar or investing that brands that made sense for her that weren't necessarily oh, yeah. reliant on her to move so the product true. and and that would have been it would have satisfied a parasocial relationship but I, i'm not sure that if she because she does maintain that separation and again there's nothing wrong with that but it it does have to drive the choices that she makes and mm -hmm. and the expectation that people have of like, am I really going to associate Beyonce with leggings? I don't know, you know? Yeah. Oh, you're so yeah. right. Um, so I want to wrap this up. Currently, Ivy Park sales are projected to reach $65 million this year, but oh, wow. that is a far cry from Adidas' target of $335 uh, million. She's making so more money than in me. March, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Touché. I'd be okay. Touché. I'd be okay with 65. Uh, but in March, they did announce that they're ending their agreement. Oh, okay. And it's going to be an early end to their agreement. Mm. So they're separating ways. So where do you guys think the Ivy Park name will go? Where do you think Beyonce is going to go from here? Do you think she's going to continue the line? Do you think she's going to pivot? Do you think she's going to partner up with someone that makes more sense? Ugh. I think Felicia, you know more about this. Than I me. feel like I mean, she. My, I, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. My so my overall, I I don't know where she'll take Ivy Park, but my overall kind of undercurrent that I'm getting from our, our conversation as a whole is that these celebrity uh, owned brands are no different than any other brand. Like I don't yep. think maybe the ramp up period to awareness is shorter, right? Like yes. you can you can grab that awareness, but Instant you still following. yeah, but you still need to find an underserved market. You still yes need to provide superior quality you still like yes. there's no difference for me than exactly. any other brand right it, and it's just you you have this ramp up period but where it goes from there is highly dependent on how it operates against competitions without celebrity backers right yeah absolutely that's, yeah that's and i think you know beyonce is extremely she's an extremely smart and savvy businesswoman and i think 
she, I, I can't see her jumping into something similar with another company because I think she's seeing, even though the money has been good, she's so um, tethered to maintaining her brand and the integrity of her brand that I, I could see her pivoting and doing something else. I think, of course, mm-hmm. like what's most important to her is the retention of the name and the rights to everything, as with everything with it Beyonce's is. brand, which yeah. I think is brilliant. Um, but I don't think there'll be a repeat of what has happened because she's smart enough to understand okay, what are the learnings from this? And and how could I leverage my brand in a way that now makes sense given um, the feedback and reaction and perhaps the limitations I've built for my brand? Um, not trying to think like Beyonce, but I think she's smart enough to understand that yeah. she's going to have to do something different uh, with the name or maybe just not do anything with the name at all, um, but not a repeat of what has happened because I think she's smarter than that. Yes. Blue I Ivy I hope- gin has a nice ring to it. I'm beginning the <laughs> liquor game, Beyonce. Blue That's Ivy saturated vodka. though. I, it's a good name for like a, I would I would see that on Barbie. Like, give me some of that Blue Ivy gin. I'm intrigued. So I I want to wrap up with um, 31 celebrities who tried and failed to start oh, their God. own business. Blake Lively and I. Thir- Yes, ma'am. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. I'm not going to do them all, but I do want to kick things off with the first one. And this was, God, I could not have done this more brilliantly. This comes full circle back to our girl, Lindsay Lohan, Zach. Number one, her club in Mykonos, Greece. They closed that? (laughs) Shut down after one year. Even with the reality show? Yeah, Uh, they had a reality show in there. It still failed. uh, It was reportedly also canceled after one year. Oh, color me shocked, um, but sad day. The next one, you guys, I am actually really surprised at how many times the Kardashians are on this list. Did you know they had so many business ventures oh, yeah. before they actually, you did? Yeah. So one of them, do you uh, remember the Kardashian card? Card spelled with a K. Oh, no, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Okay, this was a prepaid debit card that was. Yes. (laughs) I know. Prepaid debit card. card, And it was pulled off the market after uh, predatory fees. Listen to these fees, you guys. Uh, Including, so it included a $99. fee just to acquire the card and then Uh, it came with a monthly fee of 7.95 and then it cost six dollars to close the account and it featured a two dollar charge every time a customer tried to pay a bill with it that sounds like the kardashian a bill yeah Yeah, that tracks that tracks i mean it is on brand let's call it let's let's (laughs) um so before there was yeezy there was his first clothing line called Pastel. Did you guys I ever hear about Pastel? Pastel? I did. You I did. Pastel. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm in Chicago. We, we, Kanye's everything, you know, or used to be. And he huh. had those Pastel like polos. He would wear double polos. Oh my polos, God. Well done, up. Zach. Mm-hmm. Well done, Zach. Um, mm-hmm. It was first teased in 2004 during his uh, music video of the song, The New Workout Plan. And yeah, featured polos. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the polls were never released. <laughs> um, Shocked. Okay, so we talked about Blake Lively. She tried her hand in the lifestyle game with her website, Preserve. 
but nothing will ever be able to top goop. Um, and it was, you know, it, there was, oh, and don't forget, Blake Lifley also has soda now. I don't know if you knew that. What is it? It's like a fizzy drink. Is it a fizzy drink? Because, um, I know Bella Hadid has kin euphorics. (laughs) And I was wondering if, yeah. Oh my gosh. The amount of celebrity owned brands that I came across, I was like, God, this world is run by celebrity owned brands, I guess. Um, but yeah, preserve was just a site like goop and it was so unclear what the site was trying to be. Um, it was like part magazine, part e-commerce hub, part philanthropic endeavor. Bless her heart. I remember it was a site that I thought love her. Oh, she's doing GeoCities because it was like a black web page with white writing. And I was like, bless her heart. (laughs) She's trying. She's trying. Um, okay, so next, Steven Spielberg tried to launch a submarine-themed uh, restaurant <laughs> called Dive. <laughs> Honestly, I would go. Honestly, that's go. intriguing to me. That, would I go back? Would I to go with our conversation? Would I go back? Maybe not, but I would go. Right, one yeah. time. Yeah. Brilliant, Zach. The main draw to the restaurant was its gimmicks, but they didn't draw in repeat customers. Yep, I feel like I, yep. that tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm scrolling down the list here. I want to give you something interesting. Oh, uh, Britney Spears opened Nyla, which is a Cajun-themed restaurant in New York City in 2002. Like that wow. Cajun theme for Britney Spears. What's Cajun? Am I going to say? Like, I would assume it's like a Southern. French when Southern. I think Cajun, I think, yeah, Southern like spice. Louisiana roots, which is where she's from, but it is where she's from. But again, I'm not sure if I associate Britney Spears with Cajun food. Cajun, I I, I miss her. I was like, was I slurring? Yeah, I was like Cajun, like Korean Asian fusion. (laughs) I was like Cajun, Cajun. Okay, sorry, I'll I'll try to enunciate. I'm with you now. I'm with you now. Um, okay, another Kim Kardashian one. She released her own cupcake mix. Uh, and it was called Va Va Vanilla. Oh god. Obviously. You know, I the no uh, and the cup- they'll do anything. A hundred percent. Like them. if there is any case study for failure leads to success, it's them. we need to do this on the Kardashian. Yeah, it's them. Fair um enough. the cup. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Va, 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 vanilla. Oh How my many goodness. Buzz? Three buzz? The cupcakes cost $13. Of course Fuck they did. Off. <laughs> of course, of they, course did. they did. Um, and they were Duncan Hines, see. basically. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> you know, the oh Kardashians are love... also good at stealing things from other people. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> You'll love this one. 50 Cent, who my understanding is part owner of Vitamin Water. He yeah, is. we worked with him yeah, way back is. when when he had an energy drink or something. Or like he had an energy like um, supplement or something. We worked with him briefly. Did you ever... Did you ever work with him when he had a condom line called Magic Stick? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't on that brand? No. <laughs> that one is so on brand, though. I'm surprised brand it failed. You know? That's actually like, a line from yeah. one of his songs, Magic Stick. 
Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, At least he's on brand. Oh, Curtis. Yeah, he's very on brand, that one. Yeah. Um, Jay-Z had plans for J-Hotels. Oh. Oh. But it was announced in 2008, which was obviously the recession, and mm. it Ooh. never really saw the light of day. Um... Oh God! Another another Kardashian one. Uh, this time it was Scott Disick for uh, which is uh, sorry, is clothing Kourtney line. Kardashians. He it was a restaurant. Oh uh, okay, he's and a it closed line. after a hundred. It closed after one hundred ninety one days. Oy. Like that's not even like at least stick it out for a year. Longer than Kim's first marriage though, so he's got uh, that going for him. Well, yeah. well said. Deep cut. Deep cut. Mm -hmm. um, Zach, you'll like this one. Shaquille O'Neal. He yeah. uh, released a video game combining uh, basketball and kung fu called Shaq Fu. <laughs> I remember. Shut I up. Remember. You remember that? Oh, I remember. Oh, I remember. Uh, yeah, Shaq. Shaq did you, did you Shaq ever play Fu. it? No, I haven't. No, never played it. I, it was too I, gimmicky. Yeah, I remember seeing it in the stores and thinking, what a terrible game. You know, like that just <laughs> looks bad. You know? Well, those are all the fun uh, failures I have for you guys in this episode. Love it. Um, I want to end with a question. Which celebrity do you think would absolutely crush it if they came out with a brand? Oof. What do you guys want to see on the market? Who do you want to see endorsing the next product? And I'll talk. I'll just fill airtime while you guys are thinking. Well, I'm thinking yeah. like the alcohol lines are kind of saturated. Mm. We have Kendall, we have Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, we have Tiki, like you talked about Brian Cranston. Um, I feel like the alcohol lines are kind of saturated. The clothing lines, if somebody can do it right, please, please do it. I think that is what is needed. Maybe not needed. We don't need anything else. Um, what else do we got? Drinks I, seem to be successful. I have I have two ideas. Thank I God I was ideas. running out of things to say. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still thinking. <laughs> yeah. First, my first idea would be the aftermath group, which is Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Eminem. 50 I'm here Cent, for it. I'm here for cannabis it. Cannabis line. Cannabis Already. Line. Oh God. Yeah, cannabis. cannabis. Uh, call it aftermath. You know what I'm saying? No. Like, come on, Snoop, Dre, all of them, great. And as a subline, <laughs> Eminem should come out with a line of children's books. I feel like the modern Dr. Seuss, <laughs> and like that would be amazing, would it not? Okay. Like, like I you could just feel the rhythm of those children books already. Like that. Would oh be my gosh, awesome. he could absolutely write them. I believe that. I agree. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I agree. I do like that. Can I can I just push back on the cannabis line though? I feel like that market is just so like bleh, so boring. It's, it's so hard so, to get into. Um, like Snoop Dogg, as an example, it's like, well, duh, he would come out with a line of cannabis. Like, show me a stiletto for Snoop Dogg, and I'd be more interested mm. than buying his just cannabis. Just because you're line. not in the market for cannabis, Caitlin. <laughs> you're in the market for a stiletto. All right. Well, why do right. you think he hasn't done it already? It's so on brand. Wait, it, there has to be a reason that he's not in it. Because the cannabis you know, market is so expensive and it's so heavily regulated. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Yeah. 
It's regulated. Yes. But Can you see Snoop dealing with all that regulation? <laughs> yeah, no, no, He's like, true. I have way too much very of a criminal record. <laughs> but I think you you make it like aftermath, like a like the record label. Like you bring all of them into it, you know. Except for Suge. Except for Suge, we're gonna leave Suge out. Of, <laughs> well, it'll Shug be tough out. for him after the conviction. Yeah, he he got, but he'll leave out. You know, for Biggie and Tupac um, personally, but that's just me. yep. Um, yep, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, I think I'm personally idea. a bit. Go ahead. No, I, it's not sexy at all, and I have no idea who would rep this, but I know that there is um, a huge underserved market for um, like uh, women of color and different hair textures. And I think um, mm. I say this because I'm I'm mixed race, although I'm white presenting, mm. and I have very I have very textured hair. And even now, even that there's so many products on the market for, you know, different hair types, I have friends who are Asian who struggle because their hair is so thick and so straight. Mm. Um, and they, we all have to get specialty products and they're so much more expensive. So you don't have any kind of mass brands that have really good lines. Yes, I get products from like, you know, Aveda or whatever, different brands who have yeah. really deep conditioning. Sure. But I think it would be really awesome because I see a lot of small businesses from black women that have come out like mixed chicks, which I think is great. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see a, a celebrity ba backed brand by a woman of color because hair is so um, such a such a touchy, not a touchy, but such an interesting subject amongst women of color that is not addressed mm -hmm. solely by the masses, only through different sort of you know, standalone product lines, but not full service. Yeah. It's a, sort of like the Fenty, but for hair. And uh -huh. I would love that because it would be easier for me to shop for products because I have textured hair that is not completely black, but it's not completely Caucasian. And it's so hard for me to find products that actually work. And so when a line becomes like, there was a Kerastase line that got discontinued. I had like a seizure practically because I was like, what am I going to find to replace? to moisturize my thick hair um, and i know it's not sexy but i feel like it's still like a need that hasn't been met at scale it's been met at, yeah. at like for niche brands but not at scale you're huh. so right i can't think of one celebrity that is attached to a hair care product and it like would a, work you know i think it would work it would work it would work, it would work too. um I don't know. I was thinking of kind of, I was trying to think outside of the beauty space to kind of include our, um, our white male audience, <laughs> my husband. Cause they're so underserved. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Not trying to appeal to diversity. Yeah. <laughs> Let's consider the white guy. Um, <laughs> so here I was, I was thinking about it and I was like, I'm not going to put myself in that position. I'm going to uh, think about my husband. He's watching golf all the time. So I was okay. thinking maybe like an athlete, a golfer attaching his name to a, a golf brand. Like Tiger Woods? Uh, like Tiger Woods or, I mean, there's up and coming golfers that, I don't know. I got subjected to watch uh, Full Swing on Netflix. <laughs> And so now I'm like very in tune with all of these golfers. So Jordan Spieth, like he could come out with go. something and people mm. would like maybe a golf glove or a golf shirt. I feel like they don't really have. Well, what, what about athletic a couple line? brands? Why athletic they... lines for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think like even, you know, 
like almost Beyonce style. Like I think Tiger everyone Woods. attaches their name, like basketball players attach their name to a shoe. Like you have the yeah. Jordan and yeah. LeBron yeah. and um, so that, that's kind of why I wanted to think that's something different than that. So I don't know. I went in the golf game because I feel like golf is up, you know, it's now becoming popular to the masses. Mm. Um, I don't know. But you know what? Overall, I want to end with I am sold on the Taylor Swift cardigan. 100% Same. sold. Same. <laughs> Patent it. Patent it. And you right know now. what? You know what? We are trademarking it. it. If she put a cat on it, I'm in my 40s. I'd still wear it. I'd still rock oh it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that, like a pocket. Or like a logo. Like a, a little logo. Like a little cat logo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would, yeah. I would I buy would it in a minute. That. I would rock that too. I think Same. that's my side you. project. <laughs> All right. You have to connect Taylor with Taylor. Swift, and be like, call. Taylor, we have the best yeah. idea for you. <laughs> yeah. Just. Here's the out. cardigan. <laughs> the cardigan with the cat. Mm-hmm. I did have another thought. Musicians attaching their name coming out with a musical instrument. Like, what if Taylor Swift came out with a piano brand? That's kind of interesting, yeah? You know, this is a brainstorming session. So. Mm-hmm. No, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not oh, getting yeah, a lot of feedback. Disappointed in the amount of reactions I'm getting from you two. <laughs> It's well, an in idea. my, defense, in my defense, idea. the computer froze for a hot minute. So, okay, yeah, <laughs> sure it did. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much, Felicia. It was an awesome. absolute pleasure having you I on here. It. You really, you not only raised, or you not only set the bar at our next guest, but you raised the level of integrity of our podcast as a whole. Exponentially. I'm sure we'll have right. you back. Yes, thank oh, you so much, I was much, delighted. Felicia. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, and just really fast, Felicia, is there anything you want to plug to our followers? Anything you want them to follow for more of your insights? Obviously, your LinkedIn is a good, it's a good um, chance. I'm on, have you, have you guys heard of Medium? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm on Medium. Um, so it's, uh, Felsall, F-E-L-S-U-L-L dot medium dot com. Um, there you'll find a smattering of writing about marketing and serial killers at the same go. So <laughs> it's a fit Amazing. for all audiences. You are my soul. <laughs> We will, uh, we'll put a link of that in the, uh, link to your medium awesome. in our, uh, episode description. So we'll awesome. send and if anyone's way. looking to hire a consultant, I'm here. <laughs> yes. There you go. There you go. Oh, all right. So Thank you guys. Show. Thank you so much. <laughs> there you go. All, right. all right. We'll talk to Bye. you later. Bye.